Thanks for that, Mark. Um, Great to have that word before us, and it'll be helpful if you can keep that open as we continue our investigation into this letter to the church in Thessalonica. I'm going to pray for us and ask that God would help us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this letter for almost 2,000 years. Thank you that it can be read freely in this place this morning. Thank you, Father, for giving us something that is a place that is safe and out of the wind and warm and comfortable. Father, I pray this morning that with all of these benefits, your Holy Spirit might be at work to take this ancient word and show that it really is your word. May it be at work in our hearts, challenging and changing us by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I want to look today at what's real, things that are, are real. And so, so what's real? If, if you think about what's real, this is the uh, 1970s version of that, uh, I think. Uh, you can't beat the real thing. Uh, I guess it's, it's trying to make the case that it's not Pepsi, I think, is the, uh, is the, point, the point here. So c- Coke, you can't beat the real thing. Uh, and then back in the 90s, you uh, 2 released a, a song called Even Better Than The Real Thing, what, 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 is, what is real? What's the real thing? And we're going to look at that this morning as we work through chapter 2 of Thessalonians. We're going to look at it at a variety of different parts of this chapter and see what is real. So the first one I want you to think through is, who's my real audience? Who's my real audience? And what I mean by this is, as you go about your daily life, as you organise your behaviour, as you make choices... Who is it that you have in mind? Who is it that will guide you from thinking, should I do this or should I do that? What's the audience that you're playing to? Who do you have in mind as you go about your daily life? I really like this picture. I'm not sure how well you can see it up there. I came across this bizarre, uh, bizarre website. What's it, what's it called? Experiment Ensam, which is uh, Swedish for the experiment about being alone. It's a totally bizarre thing. It's apparently a gambling company that put together a series of short films. And what they did was they took great experiences in life and made one person experience them on their own. So, uh, go to a, um, an amusement park totally on your own. Does being totally on your own impact the experience of doing the thing. So it's a great experience, but you're doing it totally on your own. Now, in this case, this is a a picture of a Bob Dylan concert that this one guy, this guy here, whose name is Frederick Wickingson, uh, who's apparently an absolutely mad keen Bob Bob Dylan fan, got to sit in this theatre and Bob Dylan and his band played a concert for him on his own, just sitting there. So this guy is absolutely mad keen. I think he's had been see Dylan 20 times or something in his life. But, but he said he was sitting there in the, in the audience and it's like, the song really is for me. And so he said uh, he, said he always look, used to look down on people who would scream and, and holler whenever he got out the, uh, the harmonica. And he gets out the harmonica and he, he's looking around and waiting for those people to kind of, no, no, it's just me. And he said at one point in between songs, he called out, love you guys, or something like that. Very strange. 
and they, they interviewed him at the end and, uh, and said, you know, how was that? And he said, oh, it was amazing. But you see, even that's interesting, isn't it? Because he has to tell someone else that it's amazing. So he was quite literally an audience of one. I want to have a look at an audience of one that we should be playing for. Uh, have a look with me. We're going to have a look at uh, verses 1 to 6 here. And I want you to hear who Paul's audience is. Uh, if, you, if you're with me, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, this is verse 1, that our visit to you was not without results. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For our appeal does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. It's fascinating. Paul says his method of sharing the good news, his approach to the, the Thessalonians was with one audience in mind. Who was that? It's God. He said, we weren't seeking to please you, but God who tests our hearts. It's God alone who is the audience that was ordering Paul's behavior. Now, I think that's quite a radical thought. Because particularly in our workplaces, we'll have people who evaluate our performance, won't we? In our families, we might have a matriarch or a patriarch in our families who'll give you the yes or the no on whether you're doing things the right way. It may even be just that you refer to yourself and your own conscience. Do I like how I feel I'm going today? Do I have a little PB? A little moral PB. Well done. Uh, personal best, if you're wondering what PB is. Paul says that's not the case. His audience, the one person he's seeking to please, is God. And I think that's incredibly challenging. I think that's incredibly challenging. I want you to know the reason that he chooses to then do something that's awkward is because God is his witness, because God is the one he's trying to please. So it says he was treated outrageously in Philippi. Uh, basically, they were going about their business, they got arrested, they got beaten with rods, it says. Now, I don't know what that looks like in actuality, but I can't imagine anyone hitting me uh, with a rod is going to be good. It says that they were severely beaten. Then they were thrown in jail. And so Paul is then smuggled out. Well, well, God arranges an earthquake, which enables him to get out of the jail, which is kind of nice. Uh, he converts the jailer, baptizes him and his family. And then everyone decides it's probably a good idea for Paul to kind of move on. Paul says, well, actually, uh, elders of the city, do you know what? You didn't give me a fair trial. And so rather than just shuffling me out the back door, how about you guys lead me out of the city? That'd be really nice, thank you. Was he treated outrageously? Absolutely. But it says here, uh, have a look with me at verse 2, it says, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. Why? Why? Well, the good news was worth it and the audience was worth pleasing. Is the good news that you know about Jesus worth feeling uncomfortable for? 
I think the reason that we would dare to do that, and I want to ask this as a question, do you know God well enough for Him to be your sole audience? And yes, I know it's a typo. Can you see that? Your sole audience. What I mean by this is, why would we do hard things for God? I think the only reason we'd do it is if we actually know and love God intimately. Intimately. To be able to say, I know God. Not just I know about God, but I know God. And so therefore, I'm prepared to be uncomfortable to make this known because He's real to me. Genuinely, experientially real to me. And if this morning that's not you, you're here and maybe you're just finding out about God, can I encourage you, He can be known. He can be known, not just known about, but known and loved. And if you do know him, I want to ask you this morning, do you know God well enough for you to, for you to choose, no, God is my sole audience, I'm not trying to please people. What's real love? What's real love? I mean, you could camp out here, couldn't you? You could sing songs to me, I'm sure, couldn't you? You could write poems, you could give me flowers, you could do all sorts of things when it comes to what the definition of real love is. And, and I think here, we're, we, you know, there's all sorts of different love, isn't there? There's romantic love, erotic love, uh, there's the love of friends, there's just family love. What, what's real love? I, I guess maybe the question this morning that, that Paul will answer for us is, what's really loving? What's really loving? Uh, here's a beautiful picture uh, of a family uh, loving one another, that's, that's a lovely picture. I want you to see here that Paul, uh, this kind of hard man at some level, uh, describes himself here as the whole family in terms of his love for the people that he's caring for. Have a look with me at verse 7 and following. He says, Instead, we were like young children among you. So, number one, he said, we were like children among you. Instead of being authoritative, we came here to get alongside you. We were like young children. And then he says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. So he says, I'm like a mum. I'm like a mum for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone when we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, if how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls us into his kingdom and glory. It's a beautiful picture. Paul says the way he related to this young church was, well, like a child, like a mother, and like a father. I want you to see that it wasn't easy to love them. See in verse 9 there, he says that there was toil and hardship. Uh, basically, Paul didn't charge them for the work of telling them the good news. He says, I'm going to work with my hands. I'm going to, and we understand that Paul's a tent maker. So he worked with his hands. He labored for them to offer the good news at no cost. More than that, he didn't just labor hard, he acted in a way that was holy and righteous and blameless. He's a pretty good example. He's a pretty good example. I want to think about two implications of this for us. Firstly, how does what we read here challenge and change our parenting? 
See, Paul's here saying, this is how I preach the gospel. It was like this, but I want to turn it upside down for a second and look at what Paul did and help it to think about how we should think about our parenting. Think with me for one second uh, about how he was like a mother. So he says uh, in verses 7, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Nice. So then what does he explain was the way he cared for them? Well, he says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Mothers, can I encourage you, if you care for your children, that one way you can do this even more and more is to share the good news with them? Can I encourage you to not only care for them, but to share your life with them? Paul says, I cared for you like a mother, and this is how I did it. I shared the gospel, and I shared my life. Not just dispensing parental care, but the good news and your life. Dads, what does it look like for you? Verse 11 says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. We kind of go, dot, 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 what might that mean? Well, have a listen, dads, to what he says a father dealing with their own children looks like. Verse 12 is really challenging. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Is our vision of fatherhood about encouraging, about comforting, and about urging you to live lives, urging our children to live lives worthy of God? I think that's a beautiful challenge. There's all sorts of things fatherhood and motherhood could be, but how much more does this fill what our roles can be? So I want to hear that challenge to parenting. But there's also a challenge here, one that's very dear to my heart, about how we take the good news out. And I want to ask the question, we, we, have, uh, we have at church here a, a, a big vision, new life in every home. How are we going to do it? We're going to give the message of new life, and we're going to live new life for Jesus. In order to give the message of new life, we talk about connecting with people, taking the first step. We talk about caring for them, seeking to be a blessing. We talk about communicating, speaking clearly about Jesus. And then we talk about committing, leading people to faith, repentance, and baptism. So it's kind of a process rather than just one sweaty conversation. What I want to ask you this morning is when you're taking the good news out, when you're giving the message of new life, have you stalled somewhere around this path? If I put it up there, have you started connecting? Well, almost all of us have. We know someone who doesn't know Jesus. Is that right? I'm going to give you the answer to that. Your answer is yes. Good, good. Uh, so we've connected. Good. Have we sought to be a blessing? Have we cared? Well, most of us actually find this, I think, relatively easy. We'll find a way to do something for them. That's great. And we can even be doing it in Jesus' name. So we're saying to ourselves, I'm loving you because I love Jesus, because I want you to come to know and love Jesus. That's great. So we've connected, we've cared. What I want to ask you, though, I think that's our natural comfort ceiling. Are you with me? The connecting and the caring, no problems. What's the next one? Communicate where we speak clearly about Jesus. And I want to ask you, have you stalled in your loving relationships at about care? 
Are we regularly making the move to communicating the good news clearly about Jesus? And as a church, we kind of have some questions to help us think clearly about how we speak clearly about Jesus. So I think that can come a little bit bigger. First question I have is, do you have the good news clear enough to share? So for some of you, if you say, uh, have you shared the message of Jesus? You might say, well, actually, I'm not really sure how to do that. I'm actually... uh, running through one way of doing that at the moment with a guy meeting up with and just training him a step at a time how to share the good news. If you don't know at all how to do that, can I get you to drop on your Care and Connect card? It's all right, we won't do it right away, but I'd love to know, hey, I'm not sure how to share my faith. If you want to drop that on your Care and Connect card, I'll collect them up and we'll arrange a time where we can start helping you to know how to do that clearly. Secondly, it says, What's your, we can ask a practical question. What's your background with the church? So you can say to someone, hey, before I tell you about Jesus, can I ask you a question? What's your background with the church? I found that always makes the conversation better. Thirdly, it says, can I share with you how Jesus has changed my life? Can I share with you how Jesus has changed my life? It gives you an opportunity to say, to talk about the reality of the difference Jesus has made. What I want you to see, if you look at verse 8, is the quality of Paul's loving. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you, I think, if you look at this, it's upside down in our minds. We would say, I love you so much, I shared my life, and if I get around to it, I'll share the gospel. Paul says here, I loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Can you see this? So he says, my first most loving thing I can do with you is to share the good news about Jesus. That's the most loving thing I can do. And because I love you so much, I'll also share my life. Can you see this? What I want to encourage you today is if we really love people, we will take the opportunity to not just connect and care, but to communicate clearly the good news about Jesus. When we think about this good news, I think we have to ask ourselves, is it real and is it true? We need to be personally convinced, I believe that the message is a message of new life and hope for the world. And if we're not convinced on that, it'll be very hard to move from connecting and caring to actually speaking clearly about it. So what will help us move from there to where I want us to get to? Well, you have to believe that it's real. Uh, We get all sorts of communication, uh, don't we, Uh, that's not real. I I don't know if your inbox looks like mine. Actually, wonderfully, my spam filters are doing really well at the moment. I had to go into my junk box to find examples of this. But do you know spam? Uh, It comes dressed up like something else, but it's not real. Do, Do you know? So these are some that were in there. So uh, my AGL gas bill was overdue, and all I needed to do was log in and give them my details and pay my bill. Only problem is, my gas is with Origin, and so clearly that's not my gas bill. Yeah? And then I was told um, a FedEx package has, uh, has, I've been missed, I've missed a FedEx package. If I just log in, um, they'll be able to tell me when I can rearrange uh, a delivery. Only problem is I don't have any outstanding packages that are waiting for me. And that is not FedEx. Or maybe I could get my monthly statement from PayPal. How brilliant. If I log in and give them their details, they'll tell me what I've spent in the last month and probably add 10 or 15 grand. No. (laughs) They are fakes. 
It's communication that's not true. It's not from the apparent author. What I want you to see here is what was the grounds for Paul's confidence and the confidence of the Thessalonians. Have a look with me at verse 13. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Isn't that beautiful? It's an ancient book. It's written by many authors, but what is it really? It's the Word of God. That's why we say it. This is the Word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. Why do we say that again and again? Because it's true, because we're declaring together that is the case. We are hearing from God's Word as it's read. And um, I love how thankful Paul is uh, for the way they received it. He was thankful because they received it not as a human word, but as God's word. I want you to think for a second, uh, it's right that things that are junk end up in our junk mail box, right? But what do we do with the really authentic, precious things? Uh, Back in the day, does anyone get um, snail mail anymore? Things that are written, handwritten? Do do you ever get, has anyone, in the last month, has anyone got a handwritten letter? Oh, wonderful. That's really cool. I I think increasingly they're incredibly precious, aren't they? In fact, when I go to um, my drawer, I can pull out my drawer, I've got a little box of letters. They happen to be from a certain woman, but you know. Uh, But they're very precious, right? They're not text messages, okay, which are here today and gone tomorrow, okay? They're actually handwritten notes and cards from my wife. They're precious, I keep them because they're the authentic word from her. I want you to think, what would you do if you had a word from God? A letter addressed to you from God. In the recycling, I assume? The living God has made clear to you what His will is for your life. What would you do with it? Let it get dusty? Leave it unopened? We wouldn't, would we? Have we received it as it actually is, the Word of God? Have we received it like that? And if we have, how can you tell me that you have? If you say, of course I believe it's the Word of God. I say, yeah, right. What are you doing with God's word to you? How often does it get an outing? Oh, I take it round the block once a week, you know, for a spin, just to make sure it doesn't get too dusty. I want to encourage you, build a habit of engaging daily with this word. It's precious. It's from the living God. We have a way of doing that, which is our reading plan, which gives you a chapter a day to read. Uh, it's a fantastic way to engage with the Bible if you're not already doing it. Just pick a chapter. There's a chapter there written up for us. It's on our website. I probably, if I, the printer hadn't been broken this morning, would have had a stack of, um, a stack of copies for, uh, for you up the back. It'll be in our newsletter. You'll be able to download it. So how about that? That's some encouragement to, uh, to download the newsletter this week. But my encouragement is, if this is God's Word, don't neglect it. 
treat it as it actually is and engage with it daily. Well, what's a real example? I, I asked uh, on, online last night some of my uh, Facebook friends, I said, does anyone have role models anymore? Can I have a quick show of hands here? Does anyone have a role model, someone that they look up to? You don't have to call out the name or anything, but just a little show of hands. Has anyone got role models? Okay. So some people came back to me and sort of said, no, not really. Uh, I think one, one person said, I don't, and I'm sad that I don't. Some people said, of course, and were able to list out his five people that I really like. Some people had really famous people. Some people had local people who they know up close. They actually, you know, knew their lives, shared their lives as well. And they're able to say, that is someone that I'm following. Someone that I say, I want to be like. And uh, back in Fig Tree, there's this guy, uh, Tony Oakley, who's a professor uh, of diet and health science at the University of Wollongong. And rather than knowing him by that title, title I just met Tony at church, and he invited me to come and read the Bible with him and another, um, another bloke. And they were about 10 years further down the track than where I was. And as I got to know Tony and see the way that he related to his wife and cared for his kids and his family, I'm just going, here's a guy I want to be like. I want to be able to do sport on the weekends with my kids and when it changes to Sunday, as it did for Tony, uh, say, well, we can't play sport anymore with your team because our priority as a family is to go to church. I want to I be able to have a family, like the way he related to his wife, etc. And so for Tony, for me, was someone I went, that's someone I want to imitate, someone I want to be like. The church in Thessalonica actually had someone that they were like. And Paul was telling them, you are modelling yourself on someone who's gone before you. Ha- have a look with me uh, here at verses 14 to 16. For you, brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and who also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. What Paul's saying is, he's saying, actually, you've got a model your model is in Jerusalem. There's a church there that's suffering persecution from its people. And all I wanted to observe to you here is it's amazing. I think these are the first signs of a global church. These guys are all the way across in Macedonia, and they're talking about a church hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away in Jerusalem. And Paul's saying, you guys are acting like them. They're your model. And I love that there's this fellowship that exists in the world there. Now, there's some uh, troubling verse there, and for those of you who are a little bit concerned uh, about the, the, the description of the Jews, Paul's a Jew, yeah? And he says that they're heaping up their sins to the limit, and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. That kind of got me scratching my head, so I did a bit of digging around. Apparently, uh, uh, the, emp- the Emperor Claudius had uh, expelled the Jews from Rome in 49 AD, And so maybe Paul was talking about the fact that they'd been kicked out of Rome. Or maybe in AD 50, uh, there was a, the the Roman garrison was in Jerusalem, and apparently on a high feast day, a Passover day, it's a bizarre story, but this is what I read. On a high feast day, apparently one of the Roman soldiers had exposed himself to, under his kilt, I assume, uh, (laughs) exposed himself to the Jews. They'd been outraged 
and there'd been a lot of, a lot of upset in the city. In response, the, uh, the head of the city had brought all the Roman troops out. When the Roman troops came out, the temple crowd got into a frenzy because they thought they were going to be attacked and had a stampede. And there are mixing reports that between 10 and 20,000 people died. So maybe when Paul is saying here that the wrath of God has come upon them at last, he's citing recent things that had happened to the Jewish people. That's the best I could make of it. Uh, if, you're, if you're ever wondering whether Paul's anti-Semitic, first of all, he's a Jew, and second of all, his passion is to see Jews converted. So I think he's just observing things that have happened historically in the world around him. And he's saying that those who oppose God's plan will be not pleasing to God. I wanted to think from this, though, we're talking about aspirations and who we're looking to. The Thessalonian church could look to a persecuted church in Jerusalem. I wonder, do we believe there's only a bright and shiny future for our church? Is there only a bright and shiny future for our church? I probably should save this until the, uh, the 2017 um, Vision Day, shouldn't I? But, but here's the thing. I think it's entirely possible that the future of our church might involve persecution that we see in the world around us. Not in the same way maybe as China or in Syria, but persecution. And so the Thessalonian church was told, no, no, your model is the persecuted church in Jerusalem. I wonder, is our model always just somewhere bright and happy and shiny where the only good things happen to us? Do we need to prepare that perhaps the model will be hardship? persecution, difficulty for standing up for God's word in this world. And if that's before us, and I'm no prophet, but if that's before us, do we love God and his word enough to say, I will stand here? What's our real motivation? Why would we keep going? Why would we keep doing ministry in a place of persecution? Uh, there's an ad on TV. I, I can't believe how many ads on TV are for betting companies at the moment, if you notice this. Maybe you don't watch TV, in which case you've been spared from it. But if you're watching TV, it seems to me betting is everywhere. And this one is particularly per pernicious at the moment. Um, crown bet rewards. Basically, you bet, a, you bet and we'll reward you. It's a stupid concept. You'll spend money and we'll give a tiny amount of it back to you. Is that the way it works? It's all a lie. It's all a lie. But so here's, here's a crown bet. Uh, here's another crown. I love this. It's a water droplet captured at five one-hundredths of a second with a flash and a whole bunch of special photography stuff. But it's beautiful, isn't it? It's totally fleeting, but if you have the lighting right and the shutter right and you've got some really nice camera gear, guess what? You can capture this and keep it forever. It goes in a moment, but there's a way for it to be captured forever. Have a listen to what Paul writes about the Thessalonians here in uh, chapter 2 and verses 17 to 20 as we finish this part of the letter. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated for you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We wanted to, uh, we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope? 
our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul says, this brief moment I had with you, this fleeting moment, God will capture for eternity. You will be my crown and my glory forever in the presence of God. My glory and my crown forever. This brief moment will be captured forever. How will they be his crown and his glory? Will he get a Thessalonian church-shaped gold thing to be on his head? I don't think so. Here's, I think, how the Thessalonian church will be his crown and his glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus. On that day when Jesus returns in glory and he raises all humanity up to stand before him, some will go away to eternal life. Some will go away to eternal damnation. Those who are standing in life because of Paul's ministry will be forever his joy and his crown. He'll be able to look and say, God, in your great mercy, you enabled me to play a tiny part in your work to help these people stand here. Can you see that? And so through all eternity, in the cafeteria line in heaven, as they bump into people from Thessalonians, Paul will be able to say, thank you, Jesus. What a joy and a delight that what I did in small part meant that under God's gracious hand, you were standing here today. You will be my crown and my joy in the presence of the Lord. What a beautiful picture. The reward will be with the Lord. So will Paul go back to Thessalonica? Probably not. Jason had to post bond uh, to, to have Paul freed. And I assume if he went back, Jason would lose his money and Paul would be arrested again. He probably never went back. But he says, you for all eternity, in the presence of the Lord, you will be my joy and my crown. The ministry will be worth it because I will see you forever. So here's a question. Can we do something that makes the momentary, the now, eternal? The answer is yes. God will make it so. Let me ask this question. How will this transform serving in kids' ministry? Yeah? Many of us, our partners here at New Life, go out uh, for, for, for two or three weeks out of, uh, out of every month. Some of us do it for five weeks in a row. Extraordinary service here. Why would you keep serving in kids' ministry? Gee, I can't wait to get off that roster and, and, and be able to sit back in church again. Well, let me encourage you, and they're not here, so we'll have to get them on the podcast, won't we? But here's the thing. Why would you do it? Because this investment now will be your joy and your crown forever. Why be involved in Christian ministry? Why encourage someone over morning tea this morning? Why call someone up during the week? Why pray for them? Because in some small way, you will help them under God to stand forever. What have we seen? Well, today I want to encourage you When it gets to being real, I want you to see the sole audience. God is the one who you are playing to. I want you to take a step towards love, not just connecting and caring, but take the next step, the next step towards communicating clearly the good news about Jesus because the most loving thing we can do is share the good news and our lives as well. I want to encourage you today to seek the true word, the one that's from God that you have daily. I want to encourage you to suffer unsurprised 
When persecution and hardship comes to us, we should not be overwhelmed. We should not be surprised. We should know that we are following in the footsteps of the models that have gone before us in Thessalonica, in Jerusalem, in China, and in Syria. I want you to celebrate people work. Celebrate the joy and the crown. Well, what does Paul say? It really is one of my favorite verses in the whole of the New Testament. Because we love so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's the real thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank and praise you for the good news. I pray that you would lift our hearts this morning to play to you our only audience, our audience of one. Would you give us confidence, great motivation, great joy in sharing the good news, in ministering to one another, Father, that we might be able to stand on that final day and find the joy of standing with one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.